Hello, my name is Russell Howcroft and I've been, well, I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panellist, and I'm currently co-host of a radio show on 3RW and I'm partner, chief creative officer at the Sayers Group and I host this podcast. Welcome to Conversations. That's Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a conversation, and that's what we're going to do right here today. Uh, we're going to speak to Tim Rourke. Tim Rourke is the Chief Executive Officer of the Victorian Power Networks, which is a VPN group of companies. That includes City Power, Power Core, um, and he's a beauty. Uh, I, I've met Tim a while ago now, and um, I've thoroughly enjoyed every interaction I've had with Tim. Now, Tim, g'day. Ross, how are you doing? I don't mean to pull you up early, but they always want to forget United Energy. Well, that's your bio, mate. You better get that organised. Well, you know, sometimes you outsource things and it's not as good as you like, but United Energy, pretty big part of our business. Okay, so VPN group of companies, United Energy, PowerCore, City Power. That's it. Okay. Right up. So welcome to the Sayers Conversation. It's great to have you here. Now, what we'd like to do first up is we just want to get uh, our guest in the mood for a conversation. That's all this is. It's just a chat, right? So we're going to play you some audio. I, you know, and I want you just to relax into the audio. And at the end of that, I'm going to ask you which of the vibes uh, you prefer to sort of imagine that you're in. Okay, so let's listen to some audio. So when I think of you, Tim, I think actually you're, you're at home in a number of different environments, but which is the environment that really sort of makes you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to be there with my for my chat with Russ? Look, I'm not a great swimmer, so some of that, that water <laughs> vibe didn't really hit home with me, but I did particularly like the, anim- the, the birds and the animals. That's sort of where I grew up in the country, and that's a lot of my passion now is country and farming, apart from the job I do, which, you know, I think, Combines a lot of that as well, so that that's the vibe I want to be in. All right, no worries. So we're out in the country. I was I was thinking you might pick that, um, that but then I thought you don't you're not bad in the pub either. But that's okay. We're, we're going to be out in the countryside. So all right, let's let's. I'm going to hit you right up. When I think about you, I I, I say to my friends, I say, Tim Rourke, he's unbelievably productive. You get a lot done in any given day. So just just give us the shape of a maybe days unfair. Give us the shape of a week. Yeah, look, uh, uh, thanks very much for the compliments there, Russ. But I think, look, if you're busy, you can get a lot done. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to work at some really good companies and meet some great people. And what they've sort of told me to do is, you know, prioritise the things you want to get done mm-hmm. in the, in a week, in a day, in a month. Right. And inevitably, every time I did that as a younger guy, I always would put the easy jobs at the top and the tough jobs down the bottom. And then I met a guy, G, and he said, just turn your list upside down every day and you'll probably get the things you want done. Um, done and they'll be tougher. Okay. Okay, so um, prioritise to-do lists, um, time management. Is this something that you work on or uh, is it sort of now instinctive? It's pretty instinctive, but I do try and set pretty hard goals like a day and a week, what I have to get done. Right. Um, and I think if I do that, y- you achieve so much more. Right. I don't, if you haven't got a plan, you're not going to get very far. So you literally will write it down? Yep. Okay. And it's not uncommon now, which is a little... It's a little weird, but if I have a you know wake up in the middle of the night and I you know something resonates with me, what I should be doing or what I haven't done or yeah. what you know what I've 
you know, just has come to mind. I'll, I'll hop up now and I'll, you know, punch it in my notes in my uh, in my iPhone. And you know, uh, it, I just think if I forget that, it's an opportunity I'm not going to get back. Okay, so the iPhone is the tool. It is for writing notes these days. I mm-hmm. used to always be, you know, carry a little notebook around, and you know, I was fond of writing my own notes. And I've yeah. all I've got reams of um, uh, notepads that I had from all my previous jobs and now i try and write it down using the ipad and it, I, I, iphone predominantly yep. and it also dates and times it so you actually know when you did it and you can look back and uh, it's pretty pretty efficient i think so when when i look at your cv um and the success that you've had i mean you, you're up there amongst the great chief executives in our country or you are right I, I can say that you don't have to say anything off the back of that you, you genuinely are a really interesting success story a big a big success story now here's the deal I go to Google search and there's not a lot about you there. Now, um, unlike your mate sitting across the <laughs> microphone here, so what's going on there? Yeah, I do try and uh, look, uh, it's been a very deliberate decision of mine. I try not to get on any social media platforms other than what I have to. Um, you know, predominantly because of, you know, I, lo- I really enjoy my family time and I've got my own interests. Um, and look, you know, I think as far as, what I do is I'm just so fortunate. I've, I grew up in the country, you know, a lot of manual labour growing up, saw my dad work really hard, um, fortunate enough to get a job in BHP, spent a lot of time in mines, see similar things. Yep. They were a big consumer of energy. That sort of got my attention. Then I got to move into areas that, you know, actually generated electricity, aligned energy and hydro. And then I got to work at AGL and saw the retail side of it. And then I sort of thought, look, I'd like to understand the manufacturers of the equipment that make the energy, and that was General Electric. And then I really feel like I've found my, you know, where I'm meant to be in in distribution, where you're actually pulling all that together. And every single day, there's a real sense of purpose. If if we don't turn up, lights aren't on, people can't operate, people can't do the basics at home, they can't operate businesses. And, you know, a lot of other parts of the energy supply train, particularly electricity, you can have a day off, a week off, and, and no one would really notice. Right. So you haven't really answered the fact that, that when I Google search you, I don't get a lot about you there, but that's all good. Have you got a PR person? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good on you, right? So footprint. So we've got um, United. We've got United. We've got City Power. We've got Power Core. So just give us the footprint with regard to the distribution footprint. That's Yeah, sure. It's about Look, it's about 70% of the population of Victoria, right. um, and it's... If you think about it, it's all the Mornington Peninsula right through to Frankston, then into the CBD. And if you took a line from sort of St Kilda and, and drew that line up to Yarrawonga, it's everything west of there right through to South Australia. So it's a, it's a big area. We've got about 90,000 kilometres of um, actual uh, conductors or, or lines. Right. Um, you know, we, any given day about 3,000 people work across our business. You know, we, we spend about a billion a year. We borrow about a, a, a billion dollars a year as well. So it's a... It's a it's a pretty big business, but um, and the revenue, know, yeah. Look, our revenue is about one point three billion. Mm-hmm. So look, we're not um, ashamed of making good, you know, profits in our business these days. Um, as long as the our customers pay the same or less every year for what we we provide, and that's that's our goal. Okay, so I love that because I was going to get to that the the notion the same same or less. So let's talk about the price of energy for your average Australian consumer. Um, and give us a bit of a potted history of the price. So let's say over the last 20 years. Yeah, look, I think Victoria has been um, incredibly 
fortunate to have cheap electricity for a long time and, and cheap energy. We had cheap gas yep. um, through Bass Strait, um, you know, 2 $3 a gigajoule. Now it's 11 Sort of that's world parity sort of pricing. And Latrobe Valley, you know, uh, like or dislike coal, it, it provided a great opportunity for Victoria predominantly to to do a lot of things and do it really um, cost-effectively, $30 a megawatt or $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour. Right. And, and today we look at it and, yeah, we are going to... we And we need to... Um, complete this energy transition but it's going to be for double the cost of coal at right. a minimum okay so that so double the cost of coal does that mean double the price for the consumer or is there some way to offset that yeah no it doesn't mean and it's interesting because until you pull apart the cost of electricity getting to the home well we'll just we'll use an example of residential customer you know let's say they pay 21 cents a kilowatt uh-huh. of that historically probably three and a half cents was your energy production that was the coal. That was the generation of the electricity. Okay, so what's that sort of fifteen uh, percent? Yeah, and look at the end of the day, then then you had to transmit that from where you were generating it, transmission mm-hmm. into the distribution network, which we are, then distribute that to households, yep. and then meter it, and then send a bill out. Right. So there's all different parts of it. Right. And what we're going to see now in this transition to renewables is that three and a half cents is probably going to go to seven. So it doesn't necessarily mean your bill doubles. Mm-hmm. What it means is I it see. goes up by three, three and a half cents. So if you were paying, you know, if you were paying 18, you're probably going to pay 21 and a half. If you're paying 21, you're probably going to pay 24 and a half. But I think the best thing that's happened over the last decade that I've seen is every other part of that electricity um, value chain has become so much more efficient. Right, okay. So you you are able to drive down the cost of getting, well, electricity to the home. Exactly. And also... Some really smart things, and look, good opportunity to thank some people. We've got some. We've got. Some, we have actually got some good politicians in the area of energy. I, they get a very hard time with energy policy, but yeah. you know, when you got um, photovoltaic cells at the home, it's very efficient. Um, and if we can, if we, when you get that sized right, so people consume it all, you know, it saves costs again. Um, so I think you know, while solar particularly is far more expensive than coal if you put it at the point of consumption it does save a lot of that transmission distribution costs and you know if you right size it people use it and it can be very very efficient okay so big batteries well big batteries are still a fair way off Mm. um they're not really adelaide yeah look it's it's part of a solution they're not overly commercial but they can perform a role in stabilizing um networks particularly um and batteries at the home i think you know uh, again it's not overly commercial. You, the far better solution there is just making sure you right-size your solar to consume all that you generate within your home. Um, that, that would be the far more efficient way. Okay. There's very, very few residential customers where having a solar and battery make commercial sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's smarter things we can do with that. And hopefully electric vehicles will be a, a bit of a solution to that battery at the home. Which is really interesting, isn't it? We're, we're, so I think I'm right when I say that's when the electric vehicle, in fact, also becomes the battery for the home. That's right. Like if you if you imagine this, you've got solar on your roof. A standalone battery storage is not overly commercial, but you've got an electric vehicle, so you can you know you can actually charge the vehicle from the network, use utilize your solar for your um, residential electricity needs, uh-huh. and then you know hopefully working with distributors efficiently when you're at home, particularly on a hot day. Coincidental, you're at home, your car's at home. If it's fully charged, then we could draw down on your battery. Then we don't have to augment networks to make, you know, more capacity to to fill your need at the home on that hot day, and it saves a lot of money. And there's a, you know, you're getting t- really two bites 
value at your um, electric vehicle battery. So you've got all these mobile batteries around, um, you know, and that that could be a very good solution for everyone. So it it's more than a thought bubble, though, that idea, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I think we're very lucky in Victoria. We have smart meters and what like them or hate them as a, uh, a consumer, what it enables distribution networks to do is understand what's happening at, at the point of connection at that low voltage residential level. So we can look at a feeder and understand who's got solar, who's got uh, 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 air conditioning, who's got an electric vehicle, right. and then really tailor our augmentation or development for that particular feeder. Okay. And very cost effective. And, and as a result of smart meters, will, will you, or you may already do this, Will you send notes to the to the household saying, you know what, your energy mix is um, you're not you're not being smart with your energy mix. We suggest you do X Y Z. Look, we, we don't do as much of that. That's sort of more falls to a retailer. Uh-huh. What we do do in, through smart meters and look, there's every other state in uh, and territory in Australia now wants them. You know, when you're off supply, we know. So we we know before you call up uh, as a as a residential customer, we can send people out to fix that fault. We know when a life support customer's off. Some of the terrible storms that have happened in New South Wales and Queensland, you speak to our counterparts, our, you know, the similar businesses to us in those yeah. areas, they actually rely on people calling up. So once your mobile towers have run out of battery as well, um, at the end of the day, they don't know who's off supply. So the smart meter gives us that information. Um, and I think increasingly what it will do is allow us to access you know, batteries and hopefully batteries in the storage from electric vehicles to give another revenue stream to those owners but also save money for every other consumer where we don't have to build out networks to, to meet that new capacity. All right, crystal ball time. It's uh, the year, I'm going to say, 2035, right? so a bit more than a decade away. Give us, give us, let's call Victoria, let's just concentrate on Victoria. Um, what's the energy mix? Look, today today it's about 64% coal. Uh-huh. I'll get right off some numbers here. Mm. My... My wife made me prepare, so <laughs> I, I, I did prepare. 64% coal, you've got 11% um, wind, 11% um, solar, yeah. um, and interestingly, twice as much residential rooftop solar as grid-scale solar. You've got 7% gas and 7% um, hydro. Okay. So I think what you're going to see, you're going to see coal being phased out, yep. which is, it, it is, you know, it's the, it's the environmentally correct thing to do yes but we've got to do it in a stage fashion so that we don't you know drive people into you know tough circumstances and then other issues arise so i think you're going to see um very little coal yeah like half oh yeah like 25 yeah around 25 percent you're going to see um a lot more solar probably 30 percent solar 20 percent wind um you know i think gas has still got a role to play yes Uh, I, i think you can't um, you know, the, just the energy demands that people have. And you think about, when, when we think about electricity, we forget that you've got, you know, heating for gas, you've got cooking for gas, you've got hydronic heating with gas. So gas is going to still play a role, mm. and it might be 5% instead of 7%. So it was interesting yesterday, uh, the CSIRO, they said, oh, you know what, we probably should have told people that ca- carbon capture is not a bad idea. Um, do you see carbon capture playing a role? I did quite a bit of work on this when I was at GE. Um, Carbon capture and storage definitely works. It's just very, very expensive. And I think one of the things with energy policy, and it's it's tough because it's not very popular, but if you're going to make a policy, I think whether it's this transition to renewables and decarbonisation, it's going to cost people more money. Mm. And like everything, if you want something better, more often than not, it's probably going to cost you more. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, carbon capture and storage is, you know, even more expensive than solar and wind. Okay. So I think, you know, th- we're going to need a balance of all these fuels. 
um, that where we can drive down the use of coal, um, use gas as that transmission transition, transition. fuel. Does nuclear play a role? Look, it was interesting. I was in the US uh, ten days ago, and there was a I, I, there was a nuclear conference in Boston, um, and a, you know they were saying well, Australia would be a great place for yep. a nuclear. And look, while it would be um, nuclear is a they're they're very big facilities. Um, we'd probably only need one. Um, it takes 10 years to build. Yeah. There's all the um, operational protocols that come with that. We probably don't have the expertise in country to build it. It's a 20-year program if we wanted to go down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, gr- fantastic from a um, carbon. carbon point of view. No um, carbon. Yeah, no carbon at all. Uh, you know, but other complications come with that. But, I, you know, I think people get lost in what we saw at Fukushima in Japan, and that's very different. Like, we're a very stable... Um, Geologically stable. Correct. And, you know, I think there's a lot of learnings of where they put their backup um, generators for water supply. You know, so there's a lot of smart things we could do. Yeah. Um, and in 20 years' time, you know, I think if, if we were, if we could get ourselves organised, a, a, a smaller nuclear facility would probably make a lot of sense. Not so very popular again, though. Yeah, yeah maybe. I don't, I don't know about that. So we go back to your BHP time, which makes me think you might know the number. Um, the amount of uranium. In Australia, as a, as a percentage of the world's total uranium, yeah, I think we're I think we're look it's it's, it's mid forties. Yeah, it's like massive, right? Yeah, mid mid forty percent of the world's uranium. So we we're, we're sort of Saudi Arabia of uranium. Correct. Right. So there's there's some money to be made. There's some opportunity, you'd think, wouldn't you? And then of course we, we that reminds us of the the uh, presentation to Hawke when he was the PM that Australia should actually be we should take the waste. So dig up the uranium, sell it to the world and then take back the waste because, of course, we're geologically stable, politically stable as well, and then charge rent back to the individual com- countries for looking after the waste. And that makes that would make a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about other things, shall we? Okay. Um, now, I said up front, you're unbelievably productive. So there's a lot of stuff that's I- of interest to you. Um, the VAFA is one of them. Now, you're the president of the Uni Blues, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. So why are you doing that? Um, you know, football's been very good to me. So I, I, I actually played at University Blacks and then well, my best mate, Adam Lennon, was at Blues. So I sort of got involved down there, watched him from afar, yeah. um, went home on the farm for a year and came back. And a lot of things had happened between the clubs and I ended up at Blues and, you know, I made some of my best friends there. Yeah. And then I saw us... I think it was 2013, we got relegated to B grade. Um, you know, and it, it sort of, if football gives you a lot, you've got to at some stage put something back. So I thought, look, get involved and um, see if we can, you know, just help. And? Uh, and from there, you know, helping, and we actually got Quinton Gleeson to coach. We won the premiership in 2014 and we go back to A grade and, yep. um, you know, then got more involved. And, you know, I, I do generally enjoy it. Having said that, I don't enjoy, it's not, so much the football and the wins or the losses, but we've got. I far more enjoy seeing the people that come there. You know, young young guys come through there, and then you see them five years later out doing what they love doing right. in their businesses and being really successful. Yes, that's far more for me. That's the satisfaction I get because the games come and go and the seasons you forget. But you know, when you see a dozen people that you've helped through the last five six years out there running great businesses, you know, employing people, um, living a really Good life that probably football uh, and a lot of them football wasn't that kind to them. Right. Okay. So it's that's sort of more the good fun man. I get out of it. Okay. So I like that. Um, now you're a farmer. Well, yeah, I grew up on a farm and now I am a farmer. Right. I, I absolutely love it. What are you farming? Cattle. And how are they going? Yeah, they're good. Like 
agriculture is the new, I'll new big thing. So, uh, <laughs> and I do love, I do love um, the farm. I love cattle. Um, you know, I like, I like trying to make them sort of the best they can be. And look, you know, it, it's at times it can be controversial if you're, you know, farming beef for consumption. But you know, I generally try to give them the best time while they're here and make them the the best you know, product they can be. So if we think about your experience, so we've got um, obviously mining um, and then you've been in, in the energy sector, in farming sector as well. So let's talk about Ukraine. Now, obviously Ukraine, I mean, when, when you actually look at the stats with regard to Ukraine as a producer of wheat, for example, um, so and as a unbelievable, unbelievable resource for the world they're going to be in a bit of trouble with regard to actually, you know, creating for the world over the you know coming months, maybe years. Is there a huge upside there for Australia? Look, there is and there isn't. Like also the Ukraine, I think they've got over forty percent of the ammonium nitrate as well. So the f- oh yeah, fertilizer across the world is going to be under pressure because of what's happening in the Ukraine. In the US, just as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the steel mills in the U- in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, actually. Um, pretty much solely produces the uh, chassis for um, vehicles in the US. So yeah. there's so many things that were done very well in the Ukraine that right. aren't going to be done, you know, in the future. And it's while it may be an opportunity for Australia, it's going to put a lot of pressure on everything, supply chains, um, cost of moving materials, material costs, agriculture. Y- yes, prices will go up, but costs to actually produce are going to go up a lot as well. Are they big cattle producers? Uh, not, no. not huge. So you know, cattle is at all time highs. Right. Like it's it's crazy. If you look back five years, um, cattle were you know five dollars a kilo. Now they're close to ten dollars a kilo. Um, you know, it's uh, I think COVID really changed the way people look at cons- consuming food. Right. People are pretty comfortable at home cooking a steak or something like that. Um, so we've got a country now with. We consume more meat than ever. We've got the same sort of um, uh, amount of stock in the country that we had 20 years ago. Um, we've got probably 100 more export markets. 70% of the beef that we produce is exported. Okay. So these are, you know, I think agriculture is going to go through a, a phenomenally good period for the next five to ten years. And it's great because, I mean, if you've grown up in the country and, you know, people used to ask, what do you grow in Finley? And I used to... One of my favourite lines was we 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 produce dust, <laughs> and I think that's changed a lot. And it's great for people in the country to sort of be rewarded a bit like. Well, there's also better soil management, right? A- absolutely. From I when th- you were growing up on a farm. Yeah, no, look, we talked about that with the energy supply chain. When you put under pressure, you focus on doing things better, and you focus on being more productive and right. and utilizing whatever resource you've got, um, you know, to a far greater degree. And that's what's happened in agriculture. And now, when the you know, the markets have turned around and even the seasons have turned around. They're so much more productive and efficient that they're sort of getting double... Va- they're producing a lot more and the market prices are, are there to, you know, reward them as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great situation for agriculture. It's been an amazing couple of years, has it not? Yep. And hopefully hopefully into the foreseeable future. So what have we got? We've got amateur footy, we've got farming horses. I re- you're into the horses a bit too, aren't you? I like my horses. I grew up <laughs> I sort of... I, I grew up with, you know, one of my another one of my best friends, Dan O'Brien... You know, we were both went to boarding school together, so he sort of got me into, got me into horses. Um, you know, it's a, and it's a lot of fun. It's it was a lot of fun as a younger person as well. But not so like I I'm not as keen these days because I've got two young boys who yep. are, you know, I prefer to follow what they're doing than be at the races on a Saturday. But I still really enjoy it, and I think there's 
one thing that uh, I, was, I was thinking about, one thing that our country could do better is just be happy for people when they succeed. Yes. And I think for me that was, you know, when Dan won the Melbourne Cup, it was great to be able to see someone who's put his whole life into something. Yeah. And people say, wow, you've been so lucky. And I think like so many things, you know, Dan wasn't lucky. He dedicated his whole career and whole life to to horses and, and you know, basically being able to become the best trainer he can. And if you keep doing that for anything for a long period of time, you work hard at it, you often get good at it as opposed to lucky. So, um, you know, that, that for me now, watching other people who, you know, get involved in horses and have that success and be able to celebrate with them, is that's that's the great thing about horse racing. Well, I, I also know in terms of being busy and being highly productive, you are also a terrific family man. I know that also to be true. Now, I want to ask, though, so leadership style, let's uh, let's reflect on that. Um, you are productive. Um, I know your people enjoy working for you, but when you think about leadership style, give us some tips. Yeah, I think, it, look, for me, I, I really try and um, get clarity as, uh, as a leadership group what we want to do and why are we doing it. Yeah. And I think when people understand why you're doing something and what's what's really driving that, it's easy to all work together. And I think if you're going to be the leader too, you shouldn't really ask people to do things that you, you think aren't achievable. Right. And that's why I love my job at the minute because when you're we're, – we're a field workforce, so you actually have a real good understanding of how tough it can be out there. Mm. So, you know, we don't, we don't expect people to be um, productive beyond what is possible. And particularly in our industry, and you know a little bit about this, Russ, but you know a lot of our people are out there in extreme conditions, wind, you know, uh, rain, yeah. you know, extreme heat, under a lot of pressure from customers. Um, so our job as leaders is to make sure that we organise and prioritise the work for them as efficiently as possible and give them all the tools and um, fleet to be able to do that most productively. Right, okay. So I think um, understanding what's possible as a leader and then getting very well organised and then... You can have all those things in place, um, but if you don't have the right people with the right skills in the specific roles, things will fail. And I think that that's the big differentiator for me is just getting the really good quality people. The other thing I've noticed is that you don't mind getting in the car and driving out to see the troops. No, I love it. That was probably the hardest thing of um, the last couple of years and with the pandemic, not being able to do that because in our business, it's the people that actually are out there you know, working on our network every single day. Right, and so these are the lineies, as yeah, we call them. Hundred percent line but line workers or cable jointers are out there yeah. every day, um, and it's not just our network. What they see in the network, you know, what the issues they're seeing, whether it's vegetation or our assets, um, what we're doing, what we're not doing, what customers really tell them, and when you're out there and you're asking them directly, you'll find some of the best ways to improve the business. And okay. we've had so many great examples of that. So tell us about uh, your ambition for VPN. So the, the network of companies, what's your ambition for the organisation? Yeah, look, we want to be the best distribution network in the world. Like, we want to be the most efficient, productive um, distribution network that, you know, exists. And we want people to come to us. And I think we're, we're slowly getting there. We get a lot of people now coming to us looking at our technology. And an example would be what we're doing with our veg management. We've got three helicopters and eight pilots. We've got our own um, hangar out at Avalon. We fly 90,000 kilometres. We use LiDAR, which is a... Um, uh, light detection system to actually identify where vegetation is relative to our conductors and assets. <laughs> um, you know, n no one else in the country is doing that. We do our whole network every year. Is that um, an idea that's come out of your organisation? Yeah, look, and I think that's the one thing that I think our country is getting better at, right. and, uh, is that you don't have to look at your own business or within your own country to get better. And before, you know, we couldn't travel, 
I'd encourage all of our all of our senior people to get out and see other businesses, not just other networks. Go and see other businesses that are doing smart things and and bring them in to help our business and help our customers. So um, let's talk about Australia, the Australian economy. Then, so I feel like sometimes we talk it down. Yeah, I don't, I, and it's interesting. I don't think we should. Like we've got fantastic. You know, people complain about the infrastructure, but it's actually fantastic infrastructure, really. Um, you know, we've got a luxury of um, minerals that, that we, you know, benefited from for a long time. Agriculture, if we went back, you know, 50, 100 years, was sort of, you know, we were carried on the sheep's back. And I think moving forward, we're going to have opportunities to develop our country a lot in that space. Huh? Agriculture, and like we spoke about before, the pressures it's been under has driven productivity and pushed that into other sectors like, you know, mining and... Um, you know, autonomous vehicles and these type of thing. You know, um, agriculture's been using it for a long time, and sensors and the like for irrigation and and everything. So I think, you know, we've got the our mineral deposits, we've got agriculture, we've got great service industries. Um, I think we're a lot smarter than we give ourselves credit for, mm-hmm. and that's a you know referring to our business and a lot of other businesses that like us in Australia, where we're now getting um, international companies coming to us saying, "What are you doing? How's it working?" Um, and I think education as well. So it, it, a few years ago, we did some research around Brand Australia. Um, this is when uh, we were at PwC. We did some great work, actually. And what we discovered is that how the world sees us versus how we see ourselves, there's a massive gap. The, the world says there is, a, there is a thriving economy. It's a stable, it's a stable you know, country. They're good people. They operate according to the rule of law, and they're really smart, and they do really well. And yet none of us think of us ourselves like that. So is that fair? Yeah, I think it is, and that's, that's what I was saying before. I think we just, if there's one thing I'd love us all to do, just be a, a li- just celebrate everyone's successes a little bit more, be happy that we are doing good things. Yeah. Um, How do we do that? I don't know. Well, you know, you're in advertising. I think we could, one of the things we were talking about before is, uh, you know, advertise positive things we're doing as opposed to highlighting the things that we're not doing well. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I try and tell everyone that I work with or that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, um, to work for is that you know probably what you got you here are the things you're good at so keep doing those things and and celebrate them and try and share those with others yep the things you're not good at absolutely work on them but you're not good at them for a reason so you know don't spend all your time trying to I- improve those areas you know celebrate and share the things you're good at what are you not, what are you not good at because you know, oh, there's, there's plenty of things I'm not, there's plenty of things I'm not good at oh dear. Listen, I, I have a fantasy that the energy, let's call it just sort of like the energy sector, um, it's no longer uh, a political football. Um, that there is a, there's a gathering and everyone involved, experts, they get together and there is an energy policy that everyone signs up on between now and let's say 2040, 2050. Um, and then the energy commission is charged with actually delivering according to what is in a bipartisan sense has been agreed with regard to our energy future. Is that a complete and utter fantasy? I don't think it is a fantasy. Um, and, it, you know, because, again, it's easy to be critical of, you know, what we may have, we, we might not have done from an energy perspective. But, you know, both sides of government, um, federally, all states have definitely taken the steps to decarbonise. You know, they're supporting renewables, um, you know they're they're holding everyone on that electricity value chain accountable for productivity. Right. Um, you know we've got we are without question one of the lowest cost electricity um, developed countries in the world, 
and we forget that. Like if you're in Germany, you're paying 50 cents a kilowatt hour. You're in Singapore, probably 40 cents. Right. You know, in the US, it's 30 cents here? Aus- Aussie dollar, and we're about 21. Right, there you go. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we're getting right. Um, you know, we get a lot of pressure from what other countries are doing as well. and I th- I don't, So I don't think that's impossible at all because we're heading in the right direction. There's just some areas we don't agree on. Right. And, you know, from an investment perspective, I, I do think people think a lot certainly would allow a sort of a faster transition. Um, but, again, I think if we just focus on the things we're doing, we'll get closer to getting that group together. Okay, so there's a few pressures happening in the economy right now or just in actually in society. So obviously we inflation, a bit of inflation. Interest rates going up, wages not going up. The conversation, though, doesn't really appear to be around the most important thing of all, unless I'm wrong, productivity. Now, I think I'm right in saying really there hasn't been great productivity improvements in Australia for quite a long time, like a couple of decades. Now, I can say that, but I don't even know how to improve productivity. So how do you do that? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it, we're in a, we're in a, um, we have a monthly strategy programs and change meeting, um, and we, you know, we're a field workforce. Um, and we want to look after our people. We yeah. want to make sure that we're meeting their expectations with, you know, standards of living. So you talk about, you know, um, do we want to increase wages? We do because we want our people to live the best life they can. How do we do that? Well, we've got to improve productivity. Yeah. Um, you know, we get down to pretty granular in our business, so we we'll split up all the different work types. So I have our, you know, overhead line workers, our cable jointers, we'll have our fitters, we'll have all of our corporate staff. But particularly for our field workforce. You know, we'll measure in a day, in a month, in a year, how many hours they work on actual tools doing productive work. Um, and then we try and figure out what's stopping them from being productive. Is okay. it the fact that we're late with traffic management so they can't start their jobs on time? Is it the fact that we've ordered some outsourced materials and they've arrived two hours early so it's costing more? Um, so you've really got to get very granular on what right. tasks you're doing, uh, record that and figure out what's driving either people being able to do more or less. Because the only way you're going to improve productivity is for the hours that you work, get more done. Yep. And for the hours you're at work, do more work that's actually productive. And does there need to be incentives in, pl- incentives in place for productivity gains for workers? Yeah, well, I think that's... if Our business is pretty simple. We say, look, the, the better we go, the more we can support you and the better equipment, tools, facilities you have. Right. You know, unbeknownst to many, we've, we've built the best part of 13 new depots across Victoria the last five years. We've probably spent you know, a couple of hundred million improving our facilities for our people. Um, and, you know, if you're going to work and you've got fantastic facilities, you know, whether it's, you know, your change rooms, your showers, you know, you've got far better fleet and equipment, yeah. you're naturally going to give more. So I think productivity is only given by um, people that actually do the work when their situation's improved as well. So I started uh, our conversation saying that I reckon you're the most productive cat that I know. Um, and we've gone through quite a bit of what you do during any given week. Have I, have I missed anything? <laughs> this is a long list, probably. No, no. I think that's look. It's it's funny. The weeks go weeks go quick, and I think at the end of the day, I, I love being busy. Right. I think if you're busy, um, life's interesting. Um, the only probably thing you missed is you know I I, I generally enjoy um, time with the family. Yes. Particularly particularly as um, your kids get older, you know you're seeing them. Set their own little goals and, and, and achieve things. That's pretty good. Yeah, and um, I've seen you um, hanging out with your family as well. And um, I know they're well on their way, Tim. They very much are. So thank you very much for your time. We've been speaking to Tim Rourke. Uh, he's the Chief Executive Officer of the VPN uh, Group of Companies.
United, <laughs> Power Core and City Power. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Russ.